hey, Mountain, it is so good to be together wherever it is that you're worshiping from today, whether online or one of our campuses, or maybe you're watching this a year from now on YouTube. I don't know, okay, but welcome to you. You're in the right place. I can promise you that today, okay? We've been in this series called uh, Full of It. We're working through the book of Galatians. We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful passage in the book of Galatians chapter 5, and Paul is outlining for us something really important. But here's the deal, okay? If you have not been around the past several weeks for this series, let me encourage you. Hop online and, and check it out, okay? Do you know, like, everything we do, it's saved online for, like, eternity, okay? And everything we're talking about through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it all kind of works together in some beautiful and really important way. So check it out, okay? Make sure you go and watch back because what we're learning through Paul's words here, in which there are plenty of in the New Testament, is an emphasis that if you walk with Christ, that there's, there's an assumption that you would start to look more like Christ. Okay? It would change how you think, how you behave, what you do, how you treat others. The love of Jesus, did you notice it's available to all? Maybe you need to hear that today. The love of Jesus is available to you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. But if you receive that love, if God enters into your life, into your heart, into your soul, then there should be an outward expression of it. And Paul He's saying, well, what are you full of? Because ultimately what you're full of will be shown to those around you. The overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And so we've been looking at the book of Galatians here, chapter 5. And here's what Paul starts with. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He starts there, okay? Like, like first, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to list out what does it look like to have the desires of the flesh in your life. It's to have a character that none of us really want to have. It's, it's selfishness. It's idolatry. He lists these things that are like, you don't want these, but what might it look like to walk with Jesus? And here's what he says. He goes on in verses 22 to 25, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and in all of our campuses, can we, we've been reading this list together. Let's do that now. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says that, that these fruits here against such things, there are no laws. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Then he goes on to say, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to have the fruit of the Spirit? Why did Paul choose fruit as the way to describe our engagement and character of the Spirit within us? Well, those who belong to Christ, Paul is trying to get across a point. We actually this glimpse into Paul's way of thinking that I think is really important for us. We get this glimpse in the way that Paul thinks about spiritual formation for people who walk with Jesus. Maybe let me describe it this way. Okay, at all of our campuses, watch online. Anybody a gardener? Like, do you, do you garden? Like, I, I, I don't, okay? I'm really a bad gardener. It's a lot of work. It's hard. Uh, last year, my wife and I, we tried to plant like a flower bed with flowers that could grow, and you cut them, and you bring them. Well, it didn't work, okay? It was a disaster. They all died. They, 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 they withered up and fell apart. It was just horrible, okay? If you're a gardener, like, you should be proud of yourself. If you grow fruit or vegetables or whatever, it's hard work. Way to go, okay? Good job. 
My mom, uh, a few years back, it was like 14, 15 years ago, she and my dad, they moved to Hawaii, okay? And they, they lived the island life in its entirety. They, they lived on the island. They, they did the beach thing. My dad, he'd swim with the big turtles, even though he found out later that's illegal, so don't do that if you ever go to Hawaii. Uh, and when they were there, they, they just lived it up. They loved the island life. And one day, my mom sent me a text, and she said, hey, bub. That's my mom's nickname for me, okay? She said, hey, bub, look what I grew. And it was a picture of this. And I, at first glance, I thought to myself, oh, no, mom, that's illegal, okay? You can't do that. But then after I looked closer, I was like, oh, you know what? That's a, that's a pineapple. And my mom was so proud of this pineapple. And after talking to her, what she said is, yeah, we found out when we moved here that if you take a pineapple and you kind of lob off the top of it and you put it in water, eventually that pineapple, it will start to regrow itself. And you'll see like little tentacles go down into the water and that fruit starts to regrow itself. And eventually you take it out of the water and you plant it into uh, some soil and you care for it and you water it and you make sure it gets enough sun. And if you do all of that, well, eventually you, you get a new pineapple. It's awesome. But let me ask you a question, okay? My mom said, hey, I grew a pineapple. Did my mom make a pineapple grow? Well, technically, no, Okay. She can't do that. She doesn't have the power to make something grow. But what my mom could do and what she did do is she cultivated an environment in which maximized that fruit's ability to grow. She can't make it grow. She can just make space for it to happen. To bring that kind of growth, well, takes the energy of the sun. She has no control over the sun. She has no control over all of the forces around her that make it happen. What's happening beneath the soil, she can't control that. All she could do is create an environment that doesn't hinder, but rather helps growth. There's still a lot of work for my mom. She didn't make it grow, but she put effort into ensuring that the environment was right. And I, I don't garden, like I said, because it's, it's hard work. You plant your garden, you got to tend to that garden. You got to pull the weeds. You got to water. You got to do the work to make sure that the, the external forces can do the job they need to do to create a lush, beautiful garden. It takes constant engagement to ensure that the environment is healthy for growth. But if you ignore the garden, you, you know what happens, right? The weeds, they choke out the fruit. The stupid groundhogs come up and they eat everything up. You might not get any fruit. You might just get a little bit of fruit. Or what you get might be ragged and all messed up. So what does a path towards walking with God look like? Well, it looks like cultivating an environment that allows the external forces of God's spirit to to grow within us. But it takes work. You gotta tend to it. You gotta care about it. You gotta get rid of the stuff that might kill the garden. To walk by the Spirit, it means cultivating an environment in your life and your heart and your soul that allows the external forces of God to do the work of growing spiritual fruit in your life. And so we've been wrestling with these questions throughout the series. The question of, well, where are you going? Who are you becoming? And what are you full of? Like if the overflow of the heart is who you are, what, what are you full of? Where are you going? Who are you becoming? And notice, as we pointed out, Paul doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. No, he says fruit, singular. All of these are meant to be taken together. You don't just get to pick and choose the ones you want. No, Paul says if you are walking with Jesus, if you are living in step with the Spirit, then the overflow of your life should be all of these characteristics of who God is. And so we've been looking at these. We've talked about love. It's like the foundation of it all. We've talked about joy, peace, 
uh, the patience week like that. You know, I'm the most impatient person you've ever met in your life. Okay, I needed that one. Talked about kindness. And this week, we're talking about goodness. And goodness, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? When I, when I think of goodness, I, I don't always automatically think of something that people are naturally attracted to, okay? Because on the surface, I'm not sure goodness is all that stimulating of a concept for us. It doesn't always have a lot of appeal. And maybe that's because we just haven't defined it well. I mean, think about how we define goodness. What's the opposite of goodness? Say, say it loud wherever you are. What's the opposite of good? It's, it's bad. So the opposite of goodness is, is badness, right? And people, uh, when we think about what it looks like to be bad, like we can make that list pretty quickly. And so for many of us, and oftentimes in our culture, we tend to define goodness as the absence of badness. Just don't do the bad stuff and that will make you good. Just like, like a few years ago, uh, my son, Isaac, he turned eight. And eight's the legal age where you can leave him uh, home alone. And so we were like, all right, let's give this a shot. My wife and I, we, we got Ella, our daughter, who was three years younger than him. We said, we're going to run to the grocery store. We're going to allow you to stay home. Well, this is a big moment, like a milestone moment in my son's life. Here's the deal, though, Isaac. While I'm gone, just be good. All right, be good. So my wife and I, we pack up. We, we go to the grocery store. We, we said we were going to be gone two hours, but we just couldn't handle being gone that long. So we actually hurried back a little bit faster. We were gone maybe an hour and 20 minutes. We came in. There he is sitting on the couch watching Phineas and Ferb hanging out, eating a bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos, okay? And I looked at him and I said, Isaac, were you good? He's like, yeah, Dad, I was good. What, what did he mean by that? Like, think about it. What did he mean by I was good? Well, it turns out he mowed the old lady's lawn across the street. Wasn't that so nice of him? And uh, he, he, he folded the laundry. He unloaded the dishwasher. He packed sandwiches for the homeless guy down the street. I mean, this kid is just amazing, right? He cleaned up the basement. He went around the neighborhood and raised money for his friends to go to camp. They leave for CIY Mix just tomorrow, okay? Look at that. He didn't do any of that, all right? He didn't do any of that. What he meant was, I didn't do anything bad. I sat here on this couch. I didn't burn the house down, and I ate four bags of Cheetos, and I was so proud of him. I was like, that's my boy. Way to go. You were good. But isn't that a shallow way to think of goodness? Just not doing bad? However, it's not that far off from how we tend to define goodness, how our culture views goodness. We tend to view goodness as like, just be a good person person. Don't judge others. Like, you do you, and I'll do me. And as long as we don't offend each other or upset each other, then it's all good. To be good, as long as it doesn't come at some kind of expense to me or offend me. But what's good and not offensive is often defined by maybe our political beliefs, our conservatism, our uh, our, our, our polarized beliefs and progressive beliefs or our religiosity or our wokeness or some other kind of cultural lens that is constantly changing. But when it's based on those things, when our goodness is based on culture, where culture changes, then our definition of goodness, it's shallow, it's underwhelming, it's not that appealing when you compare it to the type of goodness that the Bible describes. Because at its core, our modern view of goodness, well, it's, it's honestly self-serving. Its measure is bending around what I want, what I think is good, what I think is bad. We examine goodness in the context of Scripture. It's rich. 
and it's beautiful, and it's robust. And it's the type of love that puts on display radical generosity, sacrifice, putting the needs of others before ourselves. Goodness, it's the most true and honest reflection of Jesus. And we have some of that goodness like deep down inside of each of us. So let's define goodness, okay? The word good, it's this huge word in Scripture, just so full of meaning. And it can be a little bit complicated, but it means to have character or integrity, to have the character or integrity of God, to be like God. Because we know God is, is good, right? Maybe, maybe you've been to a church service before where they walk in and the preacher stands up and says, God is good! And everyone responds all the time. And then he says, all the time. Everyone responds, God is good. Let's try that real quick. Okay, we got to get this. God is good and good is God. Here we go. God is good. And all the time. There we go. Okay, like we know that to be true. God is good. At its essence, God is goodness. And the goodness of God is baked into every aspect of this world. Started at the beginning. You remember the beginning, the way the Bible describes it, is that God made the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, animals, the crops. He made everything that there is. And he would say, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he made mankind. And scripture says he made mankind in his image. And then he went and breathed his life, his spirit into man. And his response was, and it is very good. See, each and every single one of us, we have some of the goodness of God the characters and attributes and integrity of God baked into who we are. And the more that we engage with the ways of God and the things of God and the, the way that God would live, the more we cultivate an environment that allows space for God to grow his fruit in us, the more we'll see the goodness of God, his character, his nature, his integrity within us. Goodness, it describes a person who's committed to doing the right thing, the good thing, no matter what the cost. Allowing the goodness of God to be lived through us. It means righteousness, mercy, kindness. Kind of just looks like God looks. So what does it look like to elevate goodness in our lives? I like to say it this way. Growing in goodness is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you, his nature, his integrity, his character, that's what shapes us. And it's the very thing that Jesus was known for. Jesus connected with God, God, and the flesh. He was known for this. In Acts chapter 10, we see Peter uh, kind of run around sharing the gospel like crazy. He's talking to this guy, Cornelius, and here's what he has to say about Jesus. And he says this, like, you know what happened through the providence of Judea. Like, you, we've heard about it. There's a good rumor going around about Jesus, right? You know what happened beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. And it goes on and it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth through the Holy Spirit and the power. God anointed Jesus, that's step one, and then step two, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. <clears throat> what was Jesus known for? Well, first, he was known for being anointed by God, connected to God. And second, because of that, he was known for going around and doing good and healing all. Like, what a reputation to have. He was known for going around and doing good. I love the implications here. Jesus has a reputation. 
And it was only because Jesus realized his connectedness to God, that God was in him, God anointed him, that he had the Holy Spirit, that God could do something through him. And if you've read the scriptures, you know that it's an amazing, amazing act of what Jesus did. And he put the goodness of God on display. True goodness can only come if you're connected to the ultimate source of goodness. Sure, like you, you can do good stuff. You can be a, a decent person. You can be good. Plenty of people in the world try to do good, to be good people. But if you do good works without having the goodness of God and life in your soul, then your goodness ends up being self-serving and doesn't lead to real eternal fruit. Might bear a little bit of fruit here or there, but a lush, beautiful garden won't come without Jesus at the center of it. The fruit of goodness without connectedness to God will always come up short. John 15, it's a good place for us to detour to. It's an important detour for us to make. Jesus, he's trying to get this point across himself. And he uses this illustration of the vine and the branches. And he says, like, hey, if you really want to live a life that is full, have you ever seen a garden that's just lush and beautiful and full? If you want to live that kind of life, then you got to be connected to me. And this metaphor, it goes over and over again throughout Scripture. And Jesus outlines this whole illustration. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And I give you life, real life, life to the fullest. The waters of life flow through me. The supernatural forces that, that bring growth, they come from Jesus. And here's what he says. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain if, in, in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and I in you, look how it starts. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear fruit. See, it's so important that we get this right, that we start by understanding. Jesus is breaking this down. If you want to live a life of goodness, if you want the type of life that truly honors goodness and brings change to people's lives for eternity, then it's got to start with a deep and beautiful connectedness to Jesus. We're connected to God. Scripture tells us that the goodness of God will be with us. It will follow us all of our days. The goodness of God displayed through Jesus happened because it was a natural output of Jesus' own connectedness to God. Now, what Jesus wasn't saying to John is that apart from him, you really can't do anything. You can. Like we said, there's plenty of people in the world who who try to do good stuff, try to do good work, try to be a good person. But that connectedness to Jesus, it always comes up short. We got to start before we talk about living out goodness, making sure that we got goodness inside of us. Because we can look pretty and shiny on the outside, but inside we can be rotting and dead and decaying. After about six, seven months of uh, COVID and everyone working from home, I finally got to come back to my, my office. And, you know, I, I was really excited to be just out of the house and back to life as normal. And I, I come and I open the door to my office. And as the door swings open, like the smell of mustiness kind of comes out of the office. I look around, there's some dead plants here and there. Uh, you know, the, it's like air hasn't been circulating. It just kind of felt gross in there. But then on the table in my office, I saw uh, my coffee cup. Right, like, does you have your own coffee cup? You got the one that you use. It's like your cup, and you love it. Use it all the time. Well, I left it there uh, six months ago, 
But there it was on the table. It was like a, a light on the hill, city on the hill, light in the darkness. There it was. It was beautiful. And I was so excited to finally use my coffee cup again. I walk over, I pick it up, I get ready to go make myself some coffee, and I look inside of it, and guess what was inside? Just a ton of mold. I mean, it was gross. I got a sniff of it. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I need to go detox, right? Like, it was disgusting. We can look beautiful on the outside, but if we haven't been cleansed on the inside, we are worthless. I went and cleaned the heck out of that mug before I used it. See, Jesus is trying to make a point. It's got to start internally. It's easy to look good on the outside, but what's inside? Like to truly live out the goodness of God, you have to abide in him. Allow him to wash the inside clean so that everything you do is pure in motive pointing back at Jesus. When you abide in him, when the inside is clean and pure and God-centered, well, that's when God can use you for his purposes. Give God's spirit a home in your soul. Allow God to mold you, cultivate an environment in which goodness can come because goodness is focused not on what you do, but on what he did for you. This is real love put on display. Goodness looks like this. Looks like allowing the love of Jesus into our lives, allowing it to swirl around inside of us, to consume all of us from our head to our toes, and then allowing that to kind of just just flow out of us. The overflow of God's love is so radical in our lives, in our heart, in our minds, in our souls, that we can't help but put it on display to those around us. Jesus does something amazing in us, and the only response that we can handle is to do something amazing for others, to allow Jesus to do something through us. It's because of Jesus' connectedness to God that he went around doing good, and the same needs to be true of us. Because if Jesus isn't the focal point, if Jesus isn't at the center of it all, then goodness starts to become our goal. Rather than celebrating and worshiping Jesus. I mean, we, we like results. I'm a very results-oriented person. I like results. I like to see fruit. It's natural. But if we don't pay careful attention to what's happening beneath the surface, then we'll work to see the fruit without first cultivating the environment for the integrity of care and character of God to really grow within us that allows the beautiful fruit of God's garden to grow out into the world around us. It's one of those points that Paul just keeps making over and over again in his New Testament writings. He says it in the book of Galatians, he says it again in Ephesians, and I think it's important that we hear the way he says it in Ephesians. Here's what he says. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This isn't from yourselves, it's it's the gift of God. It's by grace that you've been saved, only because of the grace of God that you've been saved through faith. And this isn't of yourself. It's a gift given to you from God. And he continues and he goes on and he says this. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I want to break this down for you. He starts by saying it's, it's by grace that you've been saved. This isn't from yourself. It's a gift to God, not by works so that nobody can boast. The greatest example of Jesus doing good, the goodness of God is found in the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. 
It's by his grace ushered in that Jesus said, I will sacrifice, I will be generous, I will show you my kindness, my mercy, my love. The only good one laid down his life for those who weren't good so they can be made good in the eyes of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it is marked by the goodness of God entering into this world, feeling the pain that we deserve, taking the punishment that we deserve and laying down his life for those who didn't deserve it. That goodness, it's it's generous, it's bold, it's marked by sacrifice. It's love on display. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. And it's only because of the goodness of Jesus that we can have access to true life, to joy, to understanding what it looks like to live this light this life with the light of eternity ahead of us. It's only because of his goodness that we can personify goodness. But then he says, but you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Remember, it starts with being in Christ Jesus. And if you are, then God wants to do something through you as you cultivate the integrity and the character of godliness, realizing you're not saved by your good works, but you are saved to do good works. We cultivate that kind of environment within us, space for God to do his work, to grow the fruit of our life, then the only natural overflow will be goodness and not the kind of goodness that just resists doing bad things and says that's good enough, but the kind of goodness that is active, not passive, not lazy, not self-seeking, not at arm's length, but up close and personal like Jesus was. Jesus, he, he went around, he, he touched the lepers, the ones that no one else would get close to. He took a, a break from his busy schedule to spend time with the blind man who needed him, who needed his healing. Jesus took time to, to laugh with children, to serve others. The goodness of God, it looks like Jesus personally showing up at the bedside of the sick. It looks like standing up for what is right. It looks like seeking God's justice in this world. It looks like not casting judgment on the woman caught in adultery, the one that everyone else brought to Jesus and put her on display for everybody else to see, to say, Jesus, look at her sin. Look what she has done. No, it doesn't look like publicly declaring others people's sin, but loving them right where they are and then calling them to more. It looks like not joining in the crowd who hated the tax collector, but instead going and sitting at his table, building a relationship, expressing love. It looks like feeding the hungry. It looks like loving others with a radical love, a sacrificial love, no matter how different they may be than you. Out of the overflow of what Jesus has done for you. Now, goodness, it's not absent. Goodness, it's not just not doing what's bad. It's close up. It's hands-on. It's personal. It means that you've experienced the goodness of God yourself, and it's transformed your life. And the only natural response is the overflow of intentionally looking for ways to express the goodness of God that you've received to those around you. So that people will see the goodness of God. They won't see you being good. They will see Jesus 
doing good through you. And Paul, he wants to get this point across over and over again in scripture. He's saying like, hey, if you are with Jesus, if you are walking with Jesus, if Jesus changed your life, then you've got to do good in the name of Jesus. Look for opportunity to care about other people. He says, be careful to devote yourself to doing what is good, cling to what is good, abound in every good work. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Never tire of doing what is good. Are we getting the point? Goodness, it's an important work. It starts by being an internal work. It's receiving God's love and God's kindness and God's grace. But then it's an external work. Putting on display a simple form of just being like God. Imitating him. Because goodness lived through those who walk with Jesus ultimately just points back at God anyway. So let's get real practical here. It's one of the things we wanted to do throughout this series, which just get really practical about the ways in which, uh, in which uh, we can be living out these different features of goodness, okay? And here's what I want to encourage you with. The first is if you want to get really practical, I'm going to give you three things. The first one is be someone who reads scripture. Okay, be someone who reads Scripture each and every single day. Read Scripture and ask, what does it say about God's goodness? Be, be connected to the vine. And the best way for us to be connected to the vine is to have a habit of spiritual engagement through the reading of Scripture. That's how we cultivate space is by getting into the Word of God. And sometimes I, I know that can be hard. It can be hard to do that because we got to create space for it. We got to carve time out of our busy schedule. We got to slow down enough to dive into the Bible. But it's important that we create space for it because ultimately that's exactly what gardening is. It's hard work creating space for God to do something amazing through us. It starts with us being a student of the Word of God, diving into Scripture. Studies have shown that if you read your Bible regularly, like it, it dramatically changes your behavior for the better. That's a good thing. It changes you cultivates a space for God to do some kind of amazing work in you. Maybe you've, you've never read the Bible before. You're wondering where to start. Just open up to the book of John. Go to the first page. Just start reading. And as you read, take note of every opportunity where you can say, what does this say about God's goodness? You got to open up the scripture. You got to dive in. Read and then ask, what does God, what does this say about God's goodness? And don't just stop there. Get in a group that you know, dives into scripture together. This Tuesday, seven o'clock, all of our campuses, we have in-person campus groups. Come join. We're going to dive into the fruit of the spirit together. You know, go, go to church, participate with people, love each other, serve together. But first, be connected to the source. And the best way for us to do that is through the reading of our Bible. Second, okay, first, read scripture. Second, review your day. Find tangible ways to give God credit for the goodness he's doing. Ask, how did God show me his goodness today? It'd be a really fun exercise. Maybe it's like at night if, if you uh, have a friend or spouse or some kids and you just want to gather together and say, hey, how, how'd you see God's goodness today? Do that tonight. And find one tangible way. They'll start to reveal themselves. Maybe it's the... Uh, the sunset. My daughter, she loves a really pretty uh, sunset when there's just enough clouds to where it kind of lights up red and orange. And she always says, Dad, look, Jesus is painting the sky for us. 
I love every single night laying in the bed with my three-year-old and listening to him giggle as we lay him down. That's what the goodness of God looks like today. I got to celebrate uh, Andrew Kacharis' wedding. All right, Andrew's married now, and uh, this wedding was really fun because the reception, it was just filled with people who have uh, been the overflow of Jesus' goodness in my life. And I went around, saw my buddy Skip and Kevin, and of course, Ben and Carla, and so many others there that have been people who said, you know what, God has been good to me, and the overflow of that I'm going to give to others, and I've gotten to receive that from them. And I left that wedding just celebrating God's goodness and the community that he's given me. Maybe it's a blessing that somebody's given you in the name of Jesus. Maybe it's laughter, maybe it's a son, whatever it is. Carefully examine your day and find God's goodness in it. And lastly, find a tangible way to do good and give God the credit. Reflect God's goodness. Ultimately, if we're diving into Scripture and receiving God's goodness, we're allowing that to swirl around in us, we're giving God credit for what he's doing in our life, and the overflow of it will be action. Just every day this week, look for some small, tangible, simple way to offer God's goodness to others. Maybe, maybe something evil is happening. Respond to it with good, as the scriptures tell us. Be generous when there's an opportunity. Look for an opportunity every single day to be like God in the most simple of ways possible. And let me give you maybe just one tangible, really easy way to do that right now. We have this beautiful ministry as a part of our church called the Epicenter. And recently, Tabitha's House has joined that. And between the Epicenter and Tabitha's House together, we've been given this opportunity to minister to thousands and thousands of people every single week. So at all of our campuses, you might have noticed on the way in, we, we set up a table with some stockings. And if you're online, of course, you can fully participate just by going to the link that you see on the screen, okay? But at each of our campuses, there, there are these stockings there. And these stockings, well, they represent a child in need. We're inviting mountain people to do is something very simple, to go purchase a stocking. But here's the catch, okay? You don't, you don't get to keep that stocking. It's 25 bucks. You take that stocking, and with it will be a note card. And you get to write a note of encouragement and love and God's goodness to some child that is in need. And then give that note card and that stocking back to the person at the table and the epicenter and Tabitha's house this Christmas. They're going to take those stockings and fill them with your note of goodness, of God's goodness, encouragement in God's goodness, and some basic needs and essentials and a gift. And we're going to bless 500 kids this Christmas as a way to say, God is good to us. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And if God is good all the time, then my reaction to that will be to usher goodness into the world, to be an ambassador for good. And so here's one simple opportunity. If you're like, I don't know how to be good. Well, if Jesus has transformed your heart, here's one simple suggestion. And it's simple. It's tangible. But it's the kind of fruit God wants to produce. Because if God is doing something in us, then we're going to want to let him do something beautiful through us. Jesus was anointed by God. He was with God. And because of that, he went around doing good. Get connected to the vine, friends, and then look for opportunities for God to use you to show his fruit to the world, the fruit of goodness. I'm going to invite you at all of our campuses, if you would, just, just stand with me if you're able. And I want to close with a prayer 
These are words of John Wesley that I just really love, and I hope they can be an encouragement to you today. Let's pray together. Lord, because of your goodness in our life, help us to do all the good we can, by all the means we can, in all the ways we can, in all the places we can, at all the times we can, to all the people we can, as long as we ever can. We love you. Amen.